0: Well, good morning, good morning to you all. It's good to be back. Uh, very good to be back. It's great to see you all. Um, feels like we've been away forever. Um, and uh, uh, I'm uh, here uh, with Grace this morning, as Kevin mentioned. Uh, Amber, uh, well, Charles was fast asleep, he was awake all night. We just got back yesterday. And uh, of course, when you come back from uh, California, it's an eight hour time difference, and they're eight hours behind. Um, it's not so bad going that way, but when you come back this way, um, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning when you're just about getting going here is midnight bedtime over there. And so, so for the first few days it's really difficult because uh, nighttime here is daytime there, and so you're struggling to sleep because you're wide awake. And then the moment it's you know, time to get up and go is the moment you just want to close your eyes and fall asleep, you know, at 7, 8 in the morning. And uh, so uh, Gracie actually slept... 12 hours all the way through last night, um, but she was looking a bit tired, uh, so I'd, I'd pray pray for Dan and Larry. <laughs> 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 so I'm half expecting a knock on the door halfway through, uh, uh, if she conks out it won't be too bad. Okay, well this morning we're going to uh, begin to finish uh, the book of Acts, and just to give you a plan uh, sort of just, just the, the sort of plan for the next uh, few months, really. Um, uh, the next three Sundays, Lord willing, my intention is to complete the book of Acts. Um, and the, the final few, final sort of four or five chapters are, are kind of one continuous narrative, and the story moves along at quite a quick pace. And so we're going to mm-hmm. endeavor to move through the narrative at quite a quick pace um, to, to conclude the book, um, Uh, by I think what will be the the 10th of December and then uh, the 17th and the 24th, the two Sundays before Christmas, we'll be doing a special two-part Christmas uh, study. And then beginning in the new year, um, first Sunday in January through to Easter, there are 12 Sundays. And so so, so our intention on those 12 Sundays is uh, to go into the Old Testament uh, and to do a study in the book of Daniel, um, the first 12 weeks of next year. So that, that will be uh, coming up, uh, Lord willing, um, uh, in the new year. And so, so that's so the next three Sundays, Lord willing, we'll finish the book of Acts. We'll have a, a couple of weeks uh, focusing on um, sort of a more Christmas uh, theme, and then in the new year, uh, we'll begin uh, a new study in the book of Daniel. Um, okay, so this week, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 23, so if you have your Bible Uh, Please open up to Acts chapter 23. Um, If at any point this morning I I begin to sort of make no sense, (laughs) at least more so than usual. um, It's probably because my mind is still halfway over the Atlantic, so uh, bear with me uh, this morning. Uh, But last time we were together, um, several weeks ago, we... Uh, made it to Acts chapter 23 I think in verse 10 or maybe verse 11 I think we touched on a little bit but that's where we'll pick it up this morning in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11 and because it's been a few weeks just uh, to refresh our memories about where we are in the history uh, of the book of Acts. The apostle Paul he is in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, He is uh, Been beaten and arrested, uh, and he has uh, stood uh, trial before the Jewish uh, religious court, uh, the Sanhedrin. Uh, Paul was in Jerusalem around the time of the Feast of Pentecost. He concluded his third missionary journey. He'd returned there to deliver um, a financial offering to the poor saints uh, in Jerusalem. So he was there for the Feast of Pentecost. Jerusalem was packed with people. And there were some people in Jerusalem who recognized Paul uh, from his time in Ephesus. And they recognized Paul uh, as this uh, Jewish uh, heretic who was, uh, in their point of view, um, preaching against um, the law uh, of Moses, against the the temple. Uh, And so they seized Paul and started to beat Paul. Their intention was to kill uh, Paul, and he was rescued uh, by the Roman commander there in Jerusalem, Claudius Lysias. Now, the, the Roman commanders uh, were charged with the primary task of keeping the peace uh, in the Roman Empire, and that was a very important um, thing for them to do. And so particularly at Jewish feast time, there was a greater risk of problems uh, and rebellion against the empire. And so uh, when these uh, this group of Jews began to beat Paul and their sort of seemed to be a bit of a riot going on. The commander thought, right, we need to sort that out, and he sent his soldiers down, and they pulled Paul away. Uh, And Paul was given the opportunity to address the crowd, and he shared with uh, the people there in Jerusalem uh, the testimony of his conversion to Christ, how he uh, saw the risen, ascended Christ on the road to Damascus as he was going to persecute Christians, uh, and how... um, The Lord revealed himself to him as the Messiah, the Messiah of promise of the Old Testament, the Jewish Messiah. Uh, And it was uh, the Jewish Messiah that he was now uh, proclaiming um, to everybody uh, who would listen. Uh, And so um, after that, the Jews didn't like that very much. And so uh, they began to riot again. And so uh, Paul was taken into the barracks by the Jewish, um, uh, by the Roman commander. And the Roman commander uh, didn't understand anything that Paul had said because he was speaking in the Hebrew language and the Roman commander didn't speak Hebrew. Uh, and so he wanted to know what Paul had said to incite the crowd. Uh, and so he bound him and was going to sort of scourge him, give him a whip in to try and extract information out of him, not realizing, of course, that he was a Roman citizen. And you're not allowed to bind Roman citizens and you're certainly not allowed to flog Roman citizens without uh, a fair trial, uh, which he had failed to do. Uh, and so he sort of panicked Uh, And then he unbound Paul, but he still wanted to know what Paul had said. And so he sent Paul before uh, the Jewish court, a hastily assembled um, Jewish court. The Sanhedrin gathered uh, to hear Paul. And Paul spoke to them at the beginning of chapter 3. And he said something there at the beginning which uh, didn't go down too well. He said before the Jewish court, I have lived in all good conscience before God until... This day. And the high priest Ananias, he was a very wicked man, uh, quite an evil man. He didn't like what Paul said one little bit, and he commanded that the people there beat Paul, and they severely beat Paul uh, there. And so Paul had a bit of a ding dong with Ananias, uh, you might recall, in which he uh, called him a a whitewashed wall, um, which is basically a a euphemism for for hypocrite. Um, You're supposed to be uh, ruling. Uh, and enforcing the law, but by having me beaten, you're actually violating the law you're supposed to be kind of ruling. But Paul didn't realize he was the high priest, and he'd spoken quite disrespectfully, and it was pointed out to him that he was speaking to the high priest, and so Paul kind of acknowledged that that wasn't uh, the right way to speak to somebody who held uh, that office. Uh, But he looked around the room, and he realized that the room were full of Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, Now you'll recall the Pharisees and Sadducees were the two main sects of Judaism, uh, back in those days, the Pharisees were sort of the uh, religious conservatives, if you like. They held to the truth of the law and the prophets, and, and notably, they believed in spirit beings, they believed in angels, uh, and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, they uh, were what we might refer to as the the, the liberals theologically Um, They uh, held to the law of Moses only. They didn't believe uh, that the law of Moses uh, validated uh, belief in spirit beings or a spiritual realm or indeed the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Both of those things are not true, but that's what they. That's what they believed. And so they denied spirit beings and a spiritual realm and they denied the life after death. And so there was a big, sharp theological divide uh, on those points between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Paul gets up and he stands up and he says, "Um, the reason I'm on trial here is because uh, I believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees were all like, oh, well, we believe in the resurrection, too. And the Sadducees are like, oh, he's one of them. Quick, you know, off with his head kind of thing. And the Pharisees are like, no, no, hang on a second. He's actually one of us. No. And so they all start arguing. And uh, Paul has sort of set one against the other quite cleverly, really. Uh, And then another riot ensued, the third riot, in in about a week. Uh, And so Paul's rescued once again. And he's pulled out uh, of the riot. And that's where we come to, really, in in verse uh, 11. And so uh, in verse 11, uh, we are told what happened then uh, the following night. Uh, so, so let's begin reading in verse 11. I'll read down to verse 22, and Lord willing, if we have time, we'll go further than that in our text. Uh, but just here to get us going, um, we'll read from verse 11 down to verse uh, 22. So Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Uh, the following night, the Lord stood by him, that is Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And there was more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and the elders, and they said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man uh, to the commander for he has something to tell him. Uh, And so he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you, and he has something to say to you. So the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait, men who have bound themselves by an oath, that will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, "Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me." So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, we thank you that your word is living and that it's powerful. Lord, that it has the ability uh, to change our hearts and and lives and. Lord, we recognize our need uh, this morning, Lord, our need for change, and Lord, it's your desire for us, uh, Lord, that we would become more like Jesus, that we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus, that we would grow in the likeness of Jesus, and so we thank you that you've given us your word and that you've given us your spirit, Lord, to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to give us ears that we need to hear, uh, Lord, what you have to say to us, and so Uh, Father, I ask that by your spirit you would work in each of our hearts, uh, that we may be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, uh, Lord, and that we might grow more uh, in the knowledge of you uh, and your will. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you now and ask that you would bless it, uh, Lord, and that you would do so ultimately uh, for your glory in and through each of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here, as we move on to chapter uh, verse 11, um, the Apostle Paul is at this point now at a very low point in his life. There were a couple of occasions during Paul's ministry in which he really hit rock bottom. Uh, one of the times was when he arrived in Corinth after uh, a difficult uh, missionary um, journey, uh, spending time in Athens, and, and he was at a real low point in his life then. And another time is right here because uh, we we must remember Paul had spent many, many years uh, desiring to come to Jerusalem to preach uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews in Jerusalem and to have the opportunity to share his testimony with them. He was convinced uh, that he, being uh, a devout religious Jew, a former Pharisee um, who was a persecutor of Christians, if he could just have the opportunity. Uh, to speak to his Jewish brethren and say, hey, look, I'm one of you. I believed everything that you did, uh, but the risen, ascended Christ has appeared to me, and and he's real, and Jesus truly is the Messiah. And um, and, and, and that's why uh, I'm uh, traveling around and proclaiming uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, because it's real, because it's true, because I know it to be true. Uh, And Paul was convinced that if only he had the opportunity to share his testimony with his Jewish brethren that, that they they would all believe. And uh, he wanted to do that shortly after his conversion, but the Lord told him uh, that he wasn't to do that because the people uh, wouldn't uh, receive it from him, and so he didn't. Uh, And then here, 20 years later, he arrives in Jerusalem, and he gets the opportunity. And I've no doubt that he's thinking in the back of his mind, finally, after 20 years, here I am. I'm sharing my testimony with these Jews here. Surely they now must believe. And, of course, what happened? He told them about the fact that God had called him to go preach to the Gentiles uh, and they all lost the plot and they wanted to kill him. Didn't quite go as planned. That's not how the scenario I'm sure had played out in his head. He was thinking revival, they're all going to be falling on the floor, this is going to be wonderful, Uh, and yet they're all there wanting to beat him and put him to death. Uh, So it didn't go too well. Um, The other thing we must remember is that Paul's ultimate desire was to go to Rome. A church had been established in Rome, it was a great desire of Paul for quite a while to to travel to Rome, to preach the gospel there, to minister uh, to the saints there. Uh, And this trip to Jerusalem was just a short diversion. It was intended to be a quick trip um, to deliver relief funds uh, to the saints in Jerusalem, to be there for Pentecost with the intention then now of of heading straight over to Rome uh, to sort of fulfill his heart's desire to minister to the saints there. But of course, he finds himself now in prison. And so not only is his ministry of the gospel being rejected flat out by his Jewish brethren, but now he can't even go to Rome because now he's in prison. And so he's uh, been sort of released to the Jewish court. He had the opportunity to talk to them and then a riot ensued and then he was back in prison. And so he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just sitting there thinking, what on earth's going to happen here? You know, I had the chance to preach the gospel and that seemed to fail and I wanted to go to Rome and thought the Lord was taking me there but now that's failing. What's going on with my life? What am I doing? I can't do anything. Life, I'm I'm just a failure. So this is a real low point in the life of Paul and that is why in verse 11 we read that the following night the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Two things to notice. One, the Lord was with him in his time of great distress. Secondly, the Lord spoke to him. Uh, and those two things are vitally important for us as believers today. To know that firstly, whatever our circumstances, whatever Uh, is going on in our lives, however low we feel, however low we go, the Lord is with us. He has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so even in the midst of difficulty and trial, we need to know that that is the case. We need to know that that is true, that the Lord is with us. But the Lord has also spoken to us. He's spoken to us in his word. And in fact this message to Paul which starts off general and then uh, goes specific but he starts off by saying be of good cheer. You know what Jesus said that to all of us. In this world you will have tribulation John 16:33 Jesus said. But be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The world which is full of sin uh, and suffering and death. Jesus said, I have overcome sin and suffering and death. So while your, tr- your life may be full of tribulation, uh, and surely it will be, uh, and full of trouble and full of difficulty and full of trial, yet know that my life when I was here on earth was full of suffering and tribulation and trial. And guess what? I am now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so there is hope. There is victory. There is victory over trouble, victory over sin. There is victory coming over death. And so there is great hope in the Christian life. So we can be of good cheer. We can be of good cheer because of the hope that we have in Christ. And it's that hope that the Lord brought to Paul here. Because notice he said, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so Paul, who's there thinking, you know what? I thought the Lord was leading me to Rome, but now I'm in prison. Maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe I, maybe I, well, what do I know? I don't know anything. And yet the Lord speaks to him and says, you know what? That desire you have to go to Rome, that was a desire that I put there. And I'm telling you now that even though you're in prison, you will make it to Rome. Even though your circumstances look to be completely against that ever happening, yet it's going to happen because that is my will for you. Now, that undoubtedly would be very encouraging. And as we see, how this works out in in the following narrative gives us a very important lesson uh, in the providence of God. But notice here first, before we get into that, that these were encouraging words for Paul. And oftentimes in life when things are going what we may think of as bad, difficult, trial, maybe we had hopes for the future, maybe our circumstances are dashing all our hopes and uh, and whatever it may be, you know, maybe we look back on our lives and we think, you know what, I had opportunity there and, you know, I failed and I've done this and that went wrong and you know, and like Paul was sitting there thinking, you know what, I just had this great opportunity to preach the gospel, and, and not only did they not believe me, but they tried to kill me. I mean, how much more of a failure can I be than that? Well, It sounds a little bit like what happened to Jesus, does it not? Think about that. But Paul must have been thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a failure. And here I wanted to go to Rome, but now I've ended up in prison. Maybe I shouldn't have come to Jerusalem at all. Maybe I've blown it. I had the chance, and I blew it, and I failed, and there there is no future for me in the plan and the purpose of God. And oftentimes, past failures in our lives, or even what we perceive to be failures in our lives, can lead to great discouragement. And oftentimes, we have a tendency to live in the discouragement of the past. And we're all prone to that. Part of our human nature is to sort of dwell on things and to dwell on the past and to dwell on the negative things and dwell on the difficult things. And there is a spiritual dynamic to that because remember we're in a spiritual battle. And Satan loves to latch onto any opportunity to bring condemnation into our lives. And so there's Paul thinking, I'm a failure. And you can bet when Paul was sitting there thinking I'm a failure, Satan was there whispering in his ear saying, Yes, Paul, you are. Yes. Paul's thinking, you know what, you know, I failed, there's there's no hope and no future for me, and Satan's there whispering in his ear saying, Yes, Paul, you're right. There is no hope and there's no future. But one thing we must realise in the Christian life is that condemnation is not of God. It's not of God. And how do we know when we're feeling condemned? Because condemnation drives us away from the Lord. That's what it does. I'm a failure. You know what? I can't go to church. I failed. You know what? I'm a failure. I can't sing songs of praise to the Lord because I'm a failure. You know, I'm I'm a failure. I can't pray. I can't read my Bible. And all of those thoughts are the fruits, the bad fruits of condemnation. They drive us away from the Lord. And of course, when we're discouraged and we think, you know what, I can't pray. You see, why does the devil make us think that? It's because praying oftentimes is the one thing we need to do the most. When we're failing and we're discouraged and we think, oh, I don't want to go to church. I can't go to church. You know why? And Satan says, yeah, you know, you're right. Don't go to church. And why does he say that? Because he knows that coming to church and being with And the fellowship of the saints is the thing that we most need in times of discouragement. And so condemnation is a tool of the devil that drives us away from the Lord. And we must recognize and remember the Lord is with us. He has spoken his word to us. And yes, if, if we have failed and there is sin in our past, then there is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit in bringing that sin Um, to uh, just bringing us to the realization of that sin, convicting us of our sin. But of course, whenever there's sin involved, I'm not saying sin is a good thing, but when we look back on our life and sin is revealed, that is a good thing. Why? Because when sin is revealed, we can recognize it and we confess it before the Lord, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if the problem is sin, that isn't a problem because Jesus has dealt with our sin. So the one thing that is the worst thing, in a sense, it is the easiest thing to deal with because Jesus has already dealt with it through his death on the cross. And so if there is sin in our lives, we confess our sins. God is a God of love. And if you're a child of God, he is your father and he is a loving father and he delights in forgiving his children. Condemnation. the devil will say, you know what, you've blown it. You know, God's not interested in you. You know what, those sins that you've committed or whatever, you know, they're, they're too great. You had your chance. Your chance is gone. Forget it. Just, just get on with your miserable life. Well, thank you. That's really great. That's exactly what I want to do. But yet so often we kind of just sort of do that. You know, but the words of Jesus, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is hope. There is forgiveness. And for Paul, there was hope uh, for the future. God was not done with him yet. And i tell you, if you are breathing here this morning, and I think most of you are. Some of you I'm looking and I'm not so sure. But God is not done with you yet either. And whatever your past, whatever has happened in your past, whatever you've done, whether you've failed, whether you think you've failed or or whatever it may be, God has a plan and purpose for you today and tomorrow and for the future. And once he's done with you, he's going to take you home to be with him. But if you're still here on this earth, he has a plan and a purpose for you in this life. You need to know that and believe that. That is true. And so don't be discouraged. By past failures, don't live in the discouragement of past failures. Live in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to, and that is what we see comes to bear now in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, verse twelve. Notice now. Remember here. So Paul is in an impossible situation. He wants to go to Rome. Now he's received a word from the Lord. You are going to go to Rome, but he's looking around, thinking, Hang on a second. I'm in prison. How on earth am I going to get to Rome? I, I, I can't do anything about it. I'm, I'm stuck. An impossible situation, right? And not only that, we see, um, if that isn't bad enough, there's a group of people that have a plot against Paul to kill him. And Paul certainly can't go to Rome if he's dead. And so, verse 12. When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink Till they had killed Paul and there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy and so here we have these 40 uh, men they gather together uh, no doubt these were 40 of the people that were in Jerusalem that were maybe part of the group that was beating Paul and trying to kill him uh, the first time round. and here they are they're conspiring against Paul uh, and they make this vow or this oath that none of them are going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. And they were very serious. I mean, the, the, word, the word oath there is sort of like anathema. It's like, you know, it's, may, may, may God kind of curse us to eternal damnation if we eat or drink again before Paul is dead. Now, um, I'm not sure how many of these 40 men died of starvation. <laughs> um, I, I, have a, I have a sneaky suspicion probably none of them did. Uh, Paul obviously lives for a few more years uh, yet. Um, but... I mean, I suppose on the one hand, this was a bit of a stupid vow to make, um, to to say the least. Um, Someone once said, it's always good to engage the brain before we open the mouth. I think that's good advice. Engage the brain, then open the mouth. Uh, Sometimes we just come out with things without thinking, and when we do that, oftentimes it's not not very good. Um, And we soon regret it. But here, anyway, they've made this this vow. Their intention is to kill Paul. And so verse 14, then, these 40 men, they came to the chief priests and the elders, uh, and they said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath, and we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, here's the the plan, here's the plot, um, uh, together with the council, suggest to the commander, that is the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, who's holding Paul, uh, that Paul then be brought down to you uh, the Jewish council again tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. And so here's the plot. Paul is in prison uh, in, in the Roman barracks. Um, these 40 men say to the Jewish council, Why don't you tell the Roman commander to bring Paul back to the council? Uh, and when he's on his way, we're going to ambush him and kill him before he gets there. Uh, and so they, they knew, I mean, Ananias, the high priest, he was an evil man. He um, was going to be sympathetic um, to uh, their plot. And so, so the plot was set. Uh, and so you think, right, I mean, could things get any worse for Paul and his intention to go to Rome here, right? He's in prison, he can't go anywhere, and now there's this plot to kill him uh, and uh, the commander's going to take him down to the council and these 40 men are going to jump him and they're going to put him to death. And so, so this is a pretty bleak kind of uh, circumstance here. And so what's going to happen? Well, notice verse 16. When Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul's sister's son, or his nephew. Now, this is notable because this is the only sort of clear reference to any of Paul's family members. Uh, that we have in the New Testament. But Paul had a nephew. Uh, and here's Paul. This plot is against him. He's going to be delivered to the council soon, and they're going to ambush him and kill him. And all of a sudden, his, n- his nephew shows up in the story in Jerusalem. Now, remember, Paul was from Tarsus, which is a long way from Jerusalem. And so we don't know anything about the nephew. don't know whether he's living in Jerusalem. But, of course, this was the Feast of Pentecost. And so uh, every able-bodied... A male Jew was required to, to attend this, one of the three feasts of, the, of mandatory attendance. And so, so he may just have been in Jerusalem for the feast. Uh, but somehow, and in some way, Paul's nephew just happened to be in the right place at the right time to hear about this plot to kill Paul. Now, it's a bit of a coincidence. That's a bit of good fortune for uh, the Apostle Paul. Because then in verse 17, uh, um, or verse 16, uh, Paul's nephew went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, it's another interesting thing, is is how did he just enter the barracks? Um, You know, you don't just walk in and just say, hi, Roman commander, I'm just going in to see one of your prisoners. I mean, you know, uh, but yet, apparently, he he had no problem saying, can I visit Paul? And they said yes, and, and he tells Paul about the plot. And so what we see here, it's going to be through this now, Paul's nephew overhearing uh, the plot and then telling Paul, and Paul, as we see, tells the, his guard who goes and tells the commander. That's going to result in Paul being um, sent away from Jerusalem uh, and that the plot is foiled and Paul's life is uh, spared. And of course, This whole scenario, which is incredibly unlikely and totally out of the blue, um, is not down to good fortune or coincidence, but this is a, a wonderful example of what is referred to as the providence of God. You know, there are miracles of God and then there is the providence of God. You know, miracles in the sense of where God sort of intervenes in the natural order and does something obviously supernatural. Providence is every bit a supernatural work of God, but it refers to God overseeing and ordering the natural circumstances of life to bring about his purpose and will. And so often God works supernaturally, but he does so in very natural ways through the ordinary course of life, through the normal circumstances of life, bringing about even the most unlikely set of circumstances through uh, individual people um, in order to bring about his purpose uh, and his will. And remember, God had promised Paul that he was going to Rome. He's in prison. There's a plot against his life. Um, That plot is seemingly going to come to pass. uh, But all of a sudden... God has Paul's nephew in the right place at the right time and then he even smooths away for him to go and uh, enter the barracks to tell Paul. And that tells us something very, very important. And that is this, that if God wants something to happen, It doesn't matter what the circumstances may be at any given time. It doesn't matter how impossible it may seem. If God wants something to happen, he will make a way. He will make a way. If there are doors that are firmly shut, God will open those doors. I don't know how many times you've uh, thought in life, you know, maybe the the Lord has given you... um, I don't know, it's just, just a desire on your heart and you're thinking, you know, I, I really believe that the Lord is in this, but there's no way that this can happen. You, you think through your circumstances, you try and figure a way uh, out, uh, and you, you just can't, and you just think there's no way. And then all of a sudden, just something happens. A person comes into your life, a circumstance changes that you had no control over, that you couldn't affect, that you couldn't change. Yet through the natural circumstances of life, just God does something amazing. And, and the opportunity comes. And the door is opened. And you see, God works most often in this way, very providentially, ordering the circumstances of life in order to accomplish his will and purpose through our lives. And oftentimes it can be a struggle when we have a desire uh, to, to do something. And that it's a good desire. We may even have a conviction that our desire is for the Lord. But yet our circumstances seem set against it. And, and so, so what do we do? And that can be a difficult situation. That can be a, a struggle. But what we do and how we respond in that situation is simple, and that is we continue to walk forward day by day, taking steps of faith, uh, being obedient to what the Lord has called us to and what the Lord has given us to do today. You now, Jesus said something very, very important. He said, do not worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. You know, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, when we look to the future, maybe there's a desire on our heart to do something, and all the circumstances seem dead against it, don't worry about the circumstances. Don't worry about the changes that may need to take place or the things that need to happen in the future. You just focus on being faithful to do what God has called you today, and do it with your whole heart. And you'll discover that faithfulness uh, is the path that God wants us to walk. Uh, And it is through that faithfulness... Uh, That God so often leads us on the path that will open the doors to accomplish His will uh, and purpose uh, in our lives, Uh, and and a danger, and just one more thing there. um, uh, Oftentimes, in these kinds of situations, we can struggle, and 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 our circumstances can be hard, and our circumstances can be difficult. And I don't want to minimize some of the difficult circumstances we face, but but so often the struggle is not so much because of the circumstances. Uh, the struggle uh, is because of our, the attitude of our hearts towards the circumstances. Because my heart typically wants my will. And what God has not seen fit to give me now, my heart often reacts against, but I want it now. And that might be a, that might be a genuine desire in a sense. Uh, But it is oftentimes in in the most difficult times, and this this can be really, really hard at times, but submitting my will to God's will in the midst of difficult circumstances is a very difficult thing to do, but it's what God calls us to. To submit my will to his will, whatever the circumstances, and that's faith. To do that, to be okay with the way things are. And to resolve in my heart to walk forward in faith, trusting that the Lord will order my circumstances, that the Lord will order my steps, that the Lord will take care of the things that he needs to take care of in order to accomplish the will and purpose that he has for my life. And however difficult my circumstances may seem right now, I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to be faithful and obedient to him today. If there's sin in my life, I'm going to confess it and I'm just going to walk forward in faith. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I love that verse. I hate that verse. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Oh, yes, yes. Lean not on your understanding. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, right. Okay. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, yeah, I I think I can do that. But then when I realize that that actually means leaning not on my own understanding, oh, actually, that's a bit more difficult than it seems. Lay down my will. Trust the Lord to bring about his will. And then in all your ways acknowledge him. In other words, be faithful to the Lord today. Do what he has called you today with what he's given you today. And do it with all your heart. And the Lord will direct your path. You see, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and don't worry about it tomorrow. It's basically paraphrasing Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Anyhow, so let's see what happens. Verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions to him, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, uh, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. And he has something to say to you. And so uh, again, and, and, and you see God's hand in all of this because I mean, wh- why would they care? You know, I mean, why, why would they care? This, this young kind of man comes in out of nowhere and why, why would they listen to him? But they do. And uh, so verse 19, the commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, well, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, well, the Jews have agreed to ask you uh, to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though you're going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, uh, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath, and they will neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now they are ready and they're waiting uh, for the promise or the command from you. And so the commander let the young man depart. Uh, And commanded him, well, don't tell anyone that you've revealed these things to me. And then verse 23, we find out what Felix, uh, uh, what um, Claudius Lysias did. Uh, And so, now in possession of this information, uh, he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Now, I want to say this is a guilty conscience right here, okay? Mm This is complete overkill. But remember, Claudius Lysias was all, was already potentially in trouble because he'd already bound Paul against Roman law without a fair trial. And now, he, I mean, he, he's not being kind to Paul here. He's saving his own neck. Make no mistake about that. Because if Paul um, gets ambushed on his watch and he's a Roman citizen and he'd done nothing wrong, Lysias would be done. Not only would he be sacked, he'd probably be killed um, for, for failure. So So he's... So so 200 soldiers for Paul, right? They're going to ship him off. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen. And then the third hour of the night, after, after dark, 9 o'clock at night. Uh, and 24, provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, uh, the governor. And so he writes a letter then uh, to Felix, the governor, who's based in Caesarea, uh, the governor of the Roman province of, of Judea. Uh, and, and, he, and he wrote a letter. And so here's the letter, verse 26. Claudius Lysias to the commander in Jerusalem, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. Uh, this man, speaking of Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Uh, coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Um, now, that's not quite how it went down, right? I think you remember, remember the story here. And so, so, so here's, here's the thing. Uh, here's Paul, this poor innocent fellow who was set upon by these bad guys, but, but me, the knight in China, I came and I rescued him. Um, uh, because I learned he was a Roman. Now, of course, you recall what he didn't find out that he was a Roman. He didn't care. He just sort of grabbed him, arrested him, bound him, and was going to flog him. Um, but obviously, he's not going to say that because he'd be in trouble. Um, so he's a bit economical with the truth, shall we say, uh, to make himself look good. And so verse 28, when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, uh, I brought them, I brought him before their council, and that was kind of true. Uh, I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing Uh, charged against him deserving of death or chains, also true and when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you uh, the charges against him and that's a little bit of passing the buck really um, right there but he's going to do it anyway Uh, and so verse 31 the soldiers as they were commanded took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris and that was a sort of a Roman garrison halfway between uh, Jerusalem and Caesarea sort of about 60 miles or so, um, I think it's about 40 miles to Antipatris, 60 miles to Caesarea uh, from Jerusalem. And then verse 32, the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and they returned to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul uh, to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accus- accusers have come, also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Uh, Praetorium, uh, which was the official residence uh, of the governor of Judea there in the city of Caesarea. Uh, Now, Paul will spend two years uh, there um, in Caesarea, as we'll see when we get into chapter 24 uh, next week. Um, But Paul will stand trial before the Roman governor, uh, Felix, Uh, in chapter 24 and next week we'll move on uh, quickly in the narrative as Paul stands before Felix the Roman governor and then um, subsequently before uh, Agrippa Um, and as they put him on uh, trial and and both of those um, sort of trials give Paul a wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel uh, to uh, the Roman uh, governors uh, but just in conclusion for this morning, just, just two, two simple points by way of re- reiteration of what we looked at um, this morning. I think, I think two big lessons that we take away from chapter 23 are firstly, um, the sovereignty of God and his providence uh, in circumstances. Re- remembering God knows all things and ultimately is in control of all things. And the Bible says that God is working all things together according to the counsel of his will or according to his wisdom to accomplish his uh, purpose And that should be a great encouragement uh, to all of us, whatever our circumstances, and whatever our situation may be, knowing that, that God is either making things happen or he's allowing things to happen, but that he has a will and purpose in and through it all. And so I don't need to worry about my circumstances. I just need to be faithful and obedient to do what the Lord has called me uh, to do. Uh, and And if God needs to change circumstances in order to bring about his will, then God is the God of the impossible and he can make the change. But I will tell you, so often that change um, only comes when we have truly submitted to his will in our hearts because God so often uses our circumstances to bring us to that point of complete surrender before him. And I know there have been several times in my life where I fought against something without even realizing it. It was only when I finally was willing to let it go and give it up unto the Lord and truly submit my heart uh to his will, uh, that God brought about a change. Uh, and so God uses his circumstances to accomplish his purpose, and ultimately so often that is simply to and uh, bring about a surrender in our own hearts, the surrender of our will, um for his will. Uh, and, and and secondly, just that the faithfulness of God. You know, God is a faithful God. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful because it's who he is. He cannot deny himself and we see that in the life of Paul because you know was God not faithful to Paul even in the midst of his difficult circumstances he was beaten he was arrested he was in prison but yet God preserved him he sustained him he strengthened him when he needed strengthening he ordered his circumstances when he needed things to change when he needed to be saved to bring about his purpose and will God was faithful uh, in the life of Paul Uh, and God is the same God today God doesn't change, and so, you know, one of the great things about the faithfulness of God is that I I can guarantee that every one of you here who's a believer in Jesus Christ can tell, uh, can give a testimony of the faithfulness of God in one way or another in your life up until now, and if you look back at how God has been faithful to you in the past, that is always an encouragement because you know that God's faithfulness in the past is always a promise of his faithfulness in the future because God doesn't change. And so if God has been faithful in the past, he will remain faithful because that is who God is. He is a faithful, faithful God. And so that gives us great hope and great peace and great rest, even in the midst of trouble. As Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. It will happen. It's inevitable in this fallen world in which we live. Uh, but be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. And that is the basis of our hope. And so let us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher uh, of our faith. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you would bless your word to each and every one of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Uh, we thank you for your grace that sustains us, that strengthens us. We thank you for your word. Lord, that is so rich, uh, Lord, to, to nourish us, uh, Lord, spiritually and to encourage us. And so, Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to move forward in faith in these things that we've talked about this morning, that, Lord, you will help us, uh, Lord, to, uh, to seek first your kingdom today, Lord, that you'd help us even in the midst of trial and difficulty to to fix our eyes upon you and to trust you truly. Lord, surrendering our will, Lord, unto yours. Lord, so that you may have your way, Lord, in us and that your purposes may be accomplished through us. Lord, and I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that is, is in that place, that place of surrender, even through difficult circumstances and they are looking and waiting and hoping for you to move and to work in their life Lord we pray Lord that in your, according to your sovereign will and purpose uh, that you would do just that Lord that you would open a door Lord that is closed that you would make a way where there is no way that you would bring about the impossible Lord because we know what is impossible with us is all too possible with you And so, Lord, we commit these things to you, Lord, and ask your blessing upon each one. Bless your word to our hearts. And, Lord, I pray for each one. Let us leave this place, Lord, encouraged, Lord, that you are in control of all things and that you are a faithful God. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.